Welcome to the Modern Mexico Podcast. I'm your host, Nathaniel Parrish. On today's episode, we're talking about the turkey and the role that Mexico played in bringing the turkey to Europe and helping cement the turkey's role as the main dish at U.S. Thanksgiving celebrations. In the U.S., November is the month of the turkey. Nearly 50 million turkeys are consumed in U.S. homes on Thanksgiving. In Mexico, turkey time is a month later, and December is the biggest month of the year for turkey consumption during end-of-the-year Christmas celebrations. In both the U.S. and Mexican popular culture, the turkey holds a special place. Benjamin Franklin once suggested that the turkey be celebrated as the official bird of the United States. Overall, in the U.S., the turkey is still seen as an American icon, the centerpiece of the original Thanksgiving feast. When it comes to the origins of the gobbler, however, Mexico does have reason to quibble. It was Mexico, after all, that introduced the bird to Europe and the rest of the world. In the early 1500s, Spanish conquistador Hernán Cortés was one of the first Europeans to see the turkey in Aztec Emperor Moctezuma's palace. Moctezuma gave Cortés and his men a gift of over 1,000 turkeys. To the Spanish, the turkey looked like a majestic peacock, but with plainer colors. They called it the pavo a reference to the pavo real, the Spanish word for peacock. During this first era of globalization, the Mexican turkey was exported out to countries around the world. Seafaring Arab traders from the Ottoman Empire played a big role in moving goods to Europe. The traders from Constantinople sold a number of large birds that were commonly referred to in Europe as turkey birds for the traders who delivered them. In the early 1500s, large Mexican turkey birds were being shipped and sold in Spain, Italy, and England. As the bird made its way to dinner tables in Europe, it lost any reference to its point of origin and became known as the turkey. Even in the country of Turkey, the bird was misnamed, referred to as a Hindi for its resemblance to the Indian peacock. Even in modern Turkish, the turkey is still called the India bird. Today, in Hebrew, Dutch, the Scandinavian languages, and French, the turkey has names that refer to India rather than Mexico. Even in India, in modern Hindi, the bird is called the Peru, which correctly identifies its original point of origin in the Americas, but still ends up ignoring Mexico. In Mexico, Turkey is still commonly referred to as pavo, but locals often call it wajalote, an indigenous Nahuatl language word that means big monster. Today in Mexico, wajalote is eaten in torta sandwiches and is heavily featured in the gastronomy of the Yucatan Peninsula, where it's served along with spicy habanero pepper sauces. And in the state of Puebla, where roasted guajalote is served with mole sauce. Today in Mexico, 
The wajalote is still more of a specialty item than a primary source of protein, but it's fondly characterized in the popular mind as a distinctly Mexican bird. In fact, however, the wild turkey is a bird that was consumed by and even domesticated by indigenous groups throughout North America in the territory that now composes Canada, the United States, and Mexico. So, early European settlers in Massachusetts brought domesticated turkeys with them from England, but also hunted and ate local wild turkeys. Today, while wild turkeys still exist in all three North American countries, most domesticated birds are breeds developed in the U.S. from birds that were imported from England. In this episode of the Modern Mexico podcast, we're speaking to David Lida, author of the book First Stop in the New World, Mexico City, the Capital of the 21st Century. David has lived in Mexico City for decades and now offers tours to visitors who are interested in learning about Mexico City's history and cuisine. He knows many hidden gym restaurants and has a unique perspective on the best eateries where visitors and locals can sample wajalote in Mexico City. Hi, David. Welcome to the podcast. Nathaniel, thank you for inviting me. This is a pleasure. So today we're here to talk turkey. And the first question I have for you is, do you think that Mexico really gets enough credit for being the country that introduced the turkey to the world? Uh, actually, I do not. Um, you know, Nathaniel, that, um, you know, because I've written books about Mexico, I, I, I started to take tours, uh, you know, take people around tours of Mexico City. And um, often I take people to the San Juan market and there's, there's a post there, a stall there where they sell these enormous turkeys. And I always mention that. I always mention that, that Mexico uh, is uh, the first country or, you know, you've, you've corrected me on that, that it's not precisely the first country, but, um, you know, that, that, that turkeys have been recorded in Mexico before the rest of the world. And everybody is surprised to hear that. Not a single person has said, yes, I already knew that. Yeah. I think that it's, it's something that's really quite confusing. Um, you know, of course, you know, turkeys are indigenous to the U.S., to Canada, and, and to Mexico. Um, but I think that there's a lot of confusion in the U.S. about this idea that uh, today most turkey breeds are a mix of uh, local wild birds and birds that were imported from Europe. But we have to remember the turkey is not indigenous to Europe. So any birds that were brought by um, early, early Europeans arriving in the U.S. were, you know, originally from Mexico. So I think it is accurate to say that when people sit down to eat their Thanksgiving turkey, um, the turkey that's on their plate really does have some roots that are traced back to Guajalotes in Mexico. And I don't think that that's something that, that most people in the U.S. or around the world understand. No, absolutely not. I, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right. When you say that people in the United States were sitting down to eat their 
Thanksgiving or Christmas turkey don't know that this is something that came from Mexico. I think you're absolutely right about that. So, one of, one of the other things I wanted to ask you about is um, I looked up the statistics for per capita consumption of turkey, and I know that in 2021, people in the U.S. consumed 5.1 billion pounds of turkey, and that's over 15 pounds of turkey per person. And in Mexico, on the other hand, people eat just um, about three pounds of turkey every year, and that's about as fifth a, a fifth of much as people in the U.S. consume. And I'm wondering, what does that tell us about the role that the wajalote currently plays in Mexican cuisine? And do you think it's accurate to describe the turkey as something of a niche item in Mexico's gastronomy? Well, you know, on the one hand, in the San Juan market, you know, they sell turkeys 12 months a year. Um, and in certain restaurants, you can get turkey here in Mexico City, you know, every day that the restaurant is open. But, you know, on those same restaurant menus, you'll see way more uh, beef, pork, fish, etc. And same in the San Juan market. Like, like, it's really just one stall that sells these turkeys. And, and there's any number of stalls that are selling rabbit, goat, um, um, obviously beef, pork, and chicken, etc. So yes, it is available, but but no, it's not widely consumed on a regular basis. So for me, it was pretty interesting. Like in the last few weeks that I've been doing some research for this podcast, I, I reached out to people on Twitter to ask them, you know, what their favorite restaurants for eating turkey were in Mexico City, and. I went to a really charming restaurant called La Casa del Pavo in the historic center of Mexico City. Um, it's a place that's been operating since 1901, and they serve um, turkey sandwiches, tortas de pavo. And I thought it was a really unique experience. And, um, you know, I also know that uh, the turkey plays a big role in the gastronomy of the Yucatan Peninsula. And... One of the restaurants that I went to is called uh, the Fonda Noventa Nueve, uh, and it's in the Del Valle neighborhood of Mexico City. And uh, it serves uh, food from the Yucatan Peninsula. And when I was there, I had a dish that is called pavo relleno negro, and that is turkey meat that's been stewed in this jet black sauce that is it's called recado negro and it's like the color of squid ink and it gets that color because the um the chilies the dried chilies that are used to make it are fire charred before they are um you know mashed or ground up to make the the sauce so you get a lot uh, uh a lot of char into the into the sauce and it was a really unique dish to look at. And also, I will be honest, it's probably one of the best turkey dishes um, I've ever had. And I'm wondering for you, if if you have a, uh, a favorite restaurant um, in Mexico for ordering turkey. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny that you mentioned that because, um, you know, I, 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 I told you before we got started on this that I'm not really the world's biggest 
turkey fan. Um, in, indeed, one of the one of the advantages that I feel uh, to living in Mexico City is that you can avoid Thanksgiving dinner, unlike in the U.S. But having said that, you know, El Rey del Pavo and La Casa del Pavo are, are these two old torterias in in downtown Mexico City, and I I, I really like once in a while to have a, a torta de pavo. Like it's not that same kind of heavy meal where you're eating a lot of turkey at once. And and there's something satisfying about a torta de pavo, the same way that like I'm born and raised in New York City. And when I was growing up, there were all these Greek diners that would sell club sandwiches like a turkey club sandwich. And, you know, that was fun to eat once in a while um, rather than eating like a big committed turkey dinner. So, yeah, I like both. La Casa del Pavo and El Rey del Pavo for those tortas. But there's also two restaurant cantinas in Colonia Condesa. One is called um, El Bar Montejo, and the other is called Shelha. They are run by two brothers from Spain, but they sell Yucatecan food, food from the Yucatan. And um, they have a dish called Pavo en Escabeche, which is lightly marinated uh, turkey breast with a lot of onions. And I, I like that. That's, that's delicious. You can get it as a taco. You can get it as a torta. And you can also get it, um, you know, at either of these restaurants as a main dish if you want to go all in. So those are the ones that are coming to mind. There, there used to be for me, I've been living, as you know, for most of the last 32 years in Mexico City. And for the longest time, there was a restaurant called Los Guajalotes, the turkeys, and they did not have a lot of turkey on the menu. They had a few turkey dishes, and, and I remember getting tortas de pavo there also, but they, they closed down about 10 years ago. Okay. Um, so so one other thing that I think is, is very interesting is this idea that, you know, maybe the world has forgotten that that Mexico is the country that first, uh, you know, introduced the the turkey to to Europe and to Asia. Um, but within Mexico, the, the guajolote is really celebrated as a distinctly, you know, Mexican bird. And I think it's something that people are are proud of, and people will mention it, and people will know the history of it here in Mexico. Um, but I, you know, I poked around and I did a little bit of research, and it's it's interesting that. The, the overwhelming majority of the turkey that is consumed in Mexico is actually imported from the U.S. And even the turkeys that are raised for commercial sale in Mexico um, is mostly a breed called the Nicholas 700, which was created in the U.S. by farmers from the U.S. and Canada um, using breeds that were developed in England. So there's this situation where the turkey has made this journey from Mexico to Europe and then back to the U.S. and then back to Mexico. Um, but if people are eating turkey uh, celebrations um, at the end of the year in Mexico, there's a high likelihood that the, the bird that they're eating is not an original guajalote from uh, Mexico that indigenous people might have eaten hundreds of years ago. Um, you know, it's this bird that has been bred and developed and brought from Europe to the U.S. and then back to Mexico again. You know, Nathaniel, uh, sorry to interrupt, but 
I I think you might want to look at that as you know evidence of the symbiotic relationship between the United States and Mexico. Once when I was I was taking these tours to the San Juan market. I'm sorry to keep talking about it, but it's it's actually fascinating. The turkeys there are enormous. I mean, I mean, sometimes almost alarmingly big. You know, they look like they're from some science fiction movie or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turkeys. And one tourist asked me, how come they're so big? And I realized I didn't know the answer. So I asked the guy behind the counter. He told me it was a crossbreed of two kinds of turkeys. They're hatched just across the border in Texas and then brought to be um, raised here in Mexico. So, yeah, maybe they're born in the U.S., but they're brought right over here. Um, whatever kind of feed they use, you know, when they're mature, they're, they're sold here. So, you know, um, whether everybody, you know, U.S. politicians might say terrible things about Mexico, but whether we like it or not, there's an enormous symbiosis between these two countries. And I think, you know, the turkeys are just another example of that. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a, that's a great example. Um, and I know one of the other topics that I, that I wanted to look into was, you know, whether or not heirloom turkeys are, you know, something that exists in, in Mexico. And something that I found out is that in the Yucatan Peninsula, there are people that grow um, or that raise turkeys at home um, that are breeds that are indigenous to Mexico that, um, you know, are probably pretty similar to the wild turkeys that existed here, um, you know, hundreds of years ago. And they are called patio turkeys or indigenous turkeys. And um, I wanted to ask, are you aware of ever having eaten an heirloom turkey or a guajalote del traspatio uh, in your time in Mexico? Uh, I have not, but I would really be interested uh, if anyone wants to invite me for a turkey dinner for one of those. I wanted to take a short break to remind listeners that Mexico is known for producing some of the best coffee in Latin America. Total, in 2021, Mexico exported $350 million of raw coffee beans. One of the best local roasters in Mexico City is Nomade Tostadores. Residents and visitors can sample their high-end coffee at Café Blom in Colonia Juarez or Bara Funky in Colonia del Valle. Nomade coffee can also be purchased online and shipped worldwide. Check them out on Instagram. So... As, as far as I can remember, the, the only time that I have eaten uh, any type of heirloom turkey was uh, when I was working on field work for my book. Um, I was in the mountains in Chiapas and I, I celebrated New Year's Day and had dinner with an indigenous family and they served what they called pavo del rancho, which is, um, you know, ranch turkey and they said that it was a you know a breed that is is um, raised locally, but 
um, should be considered an indigenous an indigenous breed. But as far as I remember, that's the only time uh, that I have that I've eaten a heirloom turkey in, in Mexico. It's it's not something that I've seen um, on any menus. And I wanted to ask you. Um, I know that uh, President Lopez Obrador used to say that one of his goals um, for his presidency was that Mexico should produce all of the food that it consumes. And, um, you know, as I mentioned with the turkey, uh, around 95% of the turkeys that are consumed in Mexico throughout the year are imported. And almost all of those birds are coming from the U.S. So it seems like there's, you know, potentially a big opportunity to promote um, heirloom indigenous breeds of turkey in Mexico. And I'm wondering, have you heard of any efforts in Mexico to celebrate or protect heirloom indigenous breeds of turkey? Uh, unfortunately not, uh, Nathaniel. And, and, you know, I would point out that our president might say that he thinks it would be a good thing for, for Mexico to be self-sufficient in terms of food, but I don't see any evidence of any impulse to actually make that happen. I mean, there's, loads and loads, corn is the staple, as you know, of the Mexican diet, and loads of corn is now imported from elsewhere. Um, unfortunately, we're consuming genetically modified corn here, modified by U.S. industry. Um, um, if you go to any Tianguis market or supermarket, you'll see fruits and vegetables uh, brought over from the U.S. because we have a free trade agreement and somehow it seems to be cheaper for the distributors to do that. Um, so, you know, um, let's just say I'll believe that when I see it. So it sounds like uh, it could have just been that uh, it was a case of a politician gobbling like a turkey on the campaign <laughs> trail, but saying, saying things that he didn't really uh, intend to follow up on. But um Maybe one, one parallel that I thought of was, you know, what's happening right now with mezcal. And I think um, with mezcal, you do have this trend of producers promoting mezcal that is made with, um, you know, wild varieties of indigenous agave. And, uh, you know, I thought there, there could be something similar with um, with the Wajalote and uh, maybe there'd be interest in that in the same way that maybe with uh, heirloom corn is finding favor with some chefs or tortilla makers in Mexico City. There could be interest in serving um, heirloom varieties of Mexican turkey at restaurants. And I think it could be you know, a cool program that would connect rural producers with you know urban, urban chefs and consumers. But um, it's one of those things, like, as far as I know, I've heard about a couple of farms or collectives in Mexico that are, are trying to raise, um, heirloom turkeys and promote them and protect them. But it seems to be, you know, an incredibly niche movement. And it's, it's not something that you're seeing at, at trendy restaurants throughout the city. And, you know, like, like the, the mezcal that's produced from, uh, uh, wild agave and like the heirloom corn my suspicion is that to, to actually raise these turkeys 
and serve them in restaurants would be a pretty expensive proposition. So, you know, you have to have customers who are willing to get on board to pay a lot of money for a turkey dinner. Yeah, and it might be that it would be the same type of niche as, you know, really high-end mezcal or, um, you know, really expensive <laughs> heirloom corn tortillas. But, um, you know, it would be interesting to see if in the next few years, if it, um, you know, becomes a trend. Um, but one other idea I had is, um, you know, at the start of the podcast, I mentioned this idea that Benjamin Franklin once wanted to name the turkey as the official bird of the United States. And... Uh, in Mexico, people, you know, love using the Nahuatl word "guajalote" and really celebrate the turkey as a Mexican bird. Um, and I think if there's one takeaway from the podcast, it's that people should remember that, um, you know, the turkey they eat at Thanksgiving does have some roots in, uh, you know, turkeys that were raised by Aztecs in Mexico. Um, but... I think that uh, it's also no longer quite correct to classify the turkey as a as a Mexican bird if it is indigenous to Canada, the U.S., and Mexico. And I thought that perhaps there's an argument that the turkey or the guajalote should be named as the official mascot of the North American region or of the U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade bloc. That's a splendid idea, Nathaniel. I don't know if the governments of each country will go for it, but I think it's a great idea. All right. Well, we'll have to see if there's any interest in in, uh, in celebrating the Wahalote uh, at that level. Um, well, David, I want to say it was you know really interesting to to hear your perspective, and I want to say you know thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Uh, it was a pleasure, Nathaniel, and uh, many thanks for inviting me. I wanted to take a short break to remind listeners that Mexico is the world's number one beer exporter. Within Mexico, however, the beer industry is dominated by two international beer giants, the companies that produce Corona and Dos Equis. Over the last decade, however, a niche market for locally produced craft beers has emerged in Mexico. And one of the best brands of cerveza artesanal in Mexico is Minerva, which is produced in Guadalajara. Visitors and locals can sample Minerva's beer at the El Deposito chain of craft beer stores in Mexico City. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Modern Mexico Podcast. If you like what you heard in the podcast, check out David Lita's book, First Stop in the New World, Mexico City, the capital of the 21st century, or reach out to him online via his website, davidlita.com, to join one of his tours in Mexico City. The next episode of the Modern Mexico Podcast is coming soon. Until then, hasta luego, amigos.